Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We certainly appreciate our veterans, and we didn't have an opportunity to express that last week with all the festivities in our mission Sunday. But if you are a veteran, would you mind just standing real quickly and so we can see who you are and recognize you? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We are deeply grateful for your service and the freedom we have to worship like this is because of your, your sacrifice and your willingness. So thank you so much. This church will always appreciate its veterans. Just for review, last couple weeks we talked about Jesus as our high priest and Satan is the accuser, but the Lord rebukes Satan and the Lord snatches us from the fire. We continue with Zechariah's fourth vision, Zechariah 3 verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my commandments, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. In Zechariah's vision, Joshua the high priest was dressed in dirty clothes. Now the clothing of the priest was very important. The priest had to bathe before putting on these special raiments and the clothes were made of linen so that they wouldn't even sweat before the presence of the Lord. So these garments had become soiled and filthy and they had to be changed before Joshua could be right with God and minister before him. In the same way, for us to be right with God, then number one, our clothes need to be changed. Obviously, we're not talking about our literal clothing, but things of the spirit and the flesh. You see, when we come to Christ, things have to change. When the Lord moves in, he takes charge, or he doesn't come in at all. It's all or none, I surrender all. And so one of the greatest testimonies about the truth of Christianity is the difference we are before we came to Christ and after we've come to Christ. God loves us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He brings change, good change, transformation. Just like Joshua is standing with all these filthy garments, the Lord changed those garments so he could be right with the Lord and minister before the Lord in the same way. As we grow, now we'll never become sinless in this life, but we grow in our relationship with the Lord and and things have to change. Sometimes we don't see the blessings and the favor of the Lord like we would like because we're unwilling to change, we're inflexible. But it's that willingness to change before God that will make all the difference. 
And so there are things we are to take off. The Bible says this elsewhere in Scripture, to take off the old clothes and put on these new clothes. And we see this in Ephesians 4.22. These are what the clothes represent. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So like filthy garments, we're to put off our old self, our old mindset, our former way of life, our old desires. All that begins to change. Not all at once, but slowly but surely, God begins to change us. And we're to put off those old garments of our past. Now, when I went off to college... I realized very quickly, after being there just a short time, that I didn't know how to do laundry. I had never washed my clothes. My mama took care of that. Oh, yes, I know. Jolene says, you're such a mama's boy. No, some of us just need a little more love. That's all it is. And so I had never done laundry. And so I thought, what am I going to do? I don't know how to wash clothes. And so I found this girl, and she did it for me once. That was it. I thought we had a deal going here, but... uh, She only did it once, and so now I was on my own, and so I had this shirt that I wanted to wear, and it had a stain on it, and so I thought, well, you know what? I know you're supposed to use bleach, so I got some bleach, poured it right on that stain, and and then I realized, well, you know what? I got to wear it now, and it's all wet, so I took my hair dryer, and I was going to dry it. As I'm drying that stain, my shirt, just a hole opens up in that shirt and just grows like this. Totally ruined that shirt. And then that was the day of silk shirts. Do you remember the glory of silk shirts? Oh, those were so... Yes, yes. So I had some silk shirts and I had never ironed before either. And we didn't have an ironing board. My two roommates did have an iron, so I borrowed their iron. I didn't know what to do, and so I put the shirt on the carpet, put it on the highest setting, and melted my silk shirt to the carpet of my dorm room floor. Doesn't look so cool wearing a silk shirt with a chunk of carpet glued to it. And so we're to put off our old self. I, by the way, I, don't, I know how to do laundry now. And I've, I've ironed my own clothes. And so I've, I've learned. I have learned. We're to put on the new self like new clothes. And we are to wear true righteousness, not self-righteousness. We're to wear God's righteousness and holiness. And this happens when the attitude of our mind begins to change. The only way we can change is by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. We've got to change in our hearts. We've got to change in our attitudes. We've got to change in our minds. The problem that we have is we have the wrong way of thinking. We're thinking the wrong things the wrong way. Many times it's not sinful things, it's just wrong, it's negative, it's, it's deconstructive, it's not healthy for us. And so the battle I've often shared is, in, as my mom said, between your ears. It's, be, it's in our mind, and so we take off that old mindset, that old way of thinking, and we put on the mind of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ, and, that, and we have to learn to know what we should say and do, but it all centers on the attitude of our mind. 
Our attitude is so important in the well-being of our life. Most of the time, if we have a negative attitude, we're going to have a negative life. And in the same way, when we proclaim God's truth, I'm not just talking about positive confession. How many know it's not just positive confession? It's confession of the word. Confessing the word of God has power to change our lives. And so when our minds change and our attitudes change, we're clothing ourselves with these new garments. And changing Joshua's garments symbolized the Lord was taking away not only his sins, but the sins of the nation. Remember, Israel had sinned. They'd gone into captivity. They're back into the promised land after 70 years. And so the, the filthy garments wasn't just Joshua's sin, but it was the sin of the people that God needed to deal with. And when we allow God to change us, number two, our sins will be removed. This is a good thing. Here's Joshua in these filthy garments and the angel of the Lord, which we know is Christ, says, take off those filthy garments and put on these new garments, these clean garments. And that represents the, our sins are like filthy garments. But because of Jesus, those have changed. Our lives have changed. Our sins are forgiven. I want you to know one of the greatest things about being a Christian is that your sins are forgiven. No one else can say that. Because of Jesus Christ, our sins are gone. We don't have to bear the guilt. We don't have to bear the shame anymore because we have been forgiven. And this is, so, I, I, I see so many Christians struggling with this. But God loves to forgive. It's not God's last resort. It's his first resort. He loves to give forgiveness to us. But we must ask. You see, there's no forgiveness without repentance. We have to acknowledge our sin. We need to ask for God's forgiveness, and he immediately forgives us. We see in the Life Application Bible on this context, God removes our filthy clothes, which is our sins, then provides us with fine new clothes, the righteousness and holiness of God. All we need to do is repent and ask God to forgive us. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves, you know, the, the first step is admitting you've done something wrong. Willing to say, God, I've, I've sinned. I was wrong there. I, I said that. I did that. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And that's what we must acknowledge. But when we do, when we repent, this is what happens. Look at Ezekiel 36. Now, this was written while Ezekiel was in Babylon before the time of Zechariah. The Lord says in verse 24, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Did you hear that? Jesus is going to give us a new heart. He's going to take that old stony heart, that hard heart that has grown calloused over the years. And he's going to give us a heart of flesh. I'm telling you, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to tap into your heart. It's going to change your heart. 
And when our hearts change, then our lives begin to change. And he's going to put us, his spirit in us to help us obey. Even then, God calls us to obey, and then he gives his spirit to empower us to obey. Now notice it says that the Lord would put rich garments, rich garments on Joshua. He'll take off those filthy clothes and put on rich garments. My wife, Jolene, has an uncanny ability to pick out the most expensive clothes on the rack without even looking. She can be yards away and she goes, ooh, look at that. And I, and I run up to it and it's the most expensive thing on the rack. She has an eye for class and quality and style. I, on the other hand, do not. I don't pick something out by its quality or what it looks like. I pick it out by its price. The lower, the better. I don't care if it has a sleeve missing or it's from the 90s style. I'm not interested in style. I'm not interested in quality. I'm interested in cheapness. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Because God is not cheap. How many know the Bible says he lavishes his love on us? Overflowing. He's always talking about things overflowing in abundance. He wants to give us an abundant life. God's not cheap. So he doesn't put cheap garments on Joshua. He puts rich garments to represent his holiness. God only gives the best. And while the angels were changing Joshua's clothes, Zechariah suggested they put on a new turban on his head as well. Now this symbolized something. Putting a clean turban on Joshua's head symbolized something. It symbolized his reinstatement to the priestly ministry. You got to understand, while they were in Babylon, there was no temple. There were no sacrifices. There was no no worship like they had had in Jerusalem and for 70 years they were without that it was completely put on hold and so this new turban going on Zachariah's head it's a it's a symbol of authority and reinstatement you know perhaps we have sinned perhaps we have drifted away or we've lost our way but if we will repent number three our call will be reinstated Sometimes we haven't followed God's will and his plan for our life and we've gotten off track. But I'm here to tell you, if we will turn back to God, he will return to us our calling. This is important to understand. There was no practice of the covenant priestly ministry during the exile. But now they were back in Israel and they were rebuilding the temple. So the priesthood and the sacrifices and the temple worship had to be reinstated. It had to be started back up. And part of the dress of a priest was not just the garments, but it was this turban. And so whenever I see something like that in the Bible, I want to go look it up. So here we go. We're going to look up the turban. Look at Exodus 39, verse 27. For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver, and the turban of fine linen, the linen headbands and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. And the sash was of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made the plate, the sacred diadem, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, holy to the Lord. Then they fastened a blue cord to it 
to attach to the turban as the Lord commanded Moses. And so this turban was made of fine linen, and it was, there was weaving in it, and there was a plate of pure gold that was tied to the front that said, Holy to the Lord. So the people would always remember that we are holy, to be holy before the Lord. And so it wasn't just enough to change his clothes, he had to change his turban. And the New Living Translation Study Bible says this, the high priest's turban bore a gold medallion inscribed with the words, Holy to the Lord. And the clean turban was placed on Yeshua, or Joshua's head, as an act of ordination that reinstated him as priest and mediator for the people. You see, the priesthood had to follow down in the family line, just like the king. It would be the king's son that would take over. It would be the high priest's son that would take over. And so Yeshua, or Joshua, was next in line of the priesthood. But to do that, he had to return to his calling. While he was in Babylon, he wasn't doing his ministry. He wasn't fulfilling his purpose. And I imagine he was discouraged. You know, sometimes we get a call of God, but then there's a delay. I said, there's often a, there is a wilderness between the promise and the fulfillment. It has to be tested. And so think of the many years that Joshua was wondering, will I ever be priest again? Well, here it is. Joshua's lifelong calling was restored to him. And our lifelong calling will be restored to us as well. I want you to understand. Sometimes we get off the path and we wonder if God will restore us. If he'll let us serve him again in the capacity that we've done. And it may be different, but I want you to understand, you're still called. God still has a purpose. God still has a plan. You've got to know that. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made, your calling remains. And I'm not just saying that for myself. It's in the scripture. Look at Romans 11:29 in the Amplified Bible. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them when once they are given and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. Do you hear that? God never takes his gifts back from us. Even when we fail, even when we struggle, he doesn't take back those gifts. He never cancels our calling. Now, please understand, if we're not in doing what God's called us to do, we need some repentance. We need some forgiveness because there's no restoration of your calling without repentance. It requires us coming before the Lord and acknowledging our sin and then receiving his forgiveness. It may take on a different form, our, our calling, our gifts, but each of us are still called and gifted for ministry service in the church in some capacity. Now, there are conditions to that calling, as, as always. There are requirements if we're going to be right with God. First of all, we must, number four, walk in his ways. If you're going to return to your call, if you're going to function in your ministry, in your gifts, then you have to walk in God's ways. We can't walk in our own ways. We've got to walk in God's ways. I liken this to a picture of a, a father walking through the snow and a young son trying to walk in the father's footprints. 
But as that young son grows, he's able more and more to walk in those footprints. And we're like little children when we start out. We're trying to walk in God's ways, but we don't understand it. We don't know it. But as we grow in the Lord, we will walk in those footprints. And wherever God is walking is where I want to go. And that's the difference of being a Christian. You give up your dreams because God has better dreams for you. And we got to walk in those ways. we got to learn his ways. And if we do, if we walk in his ways, there is a blessing. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways. There's that phrase again. And to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. If we will walk in his ways, then he will bless our lives. And God's blessings are often conditional on our obedience. The blessings are conditional on our obedience. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 22. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways, there it is again, that I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. Jeremiah is speaking before the fall of Jerusalem, before they're about to go into captivity. And he's talking about their forefathers. They were promised if they would follow God's ways and walk in his ways, that it would go well. But this is so important for us to understand as Christians. How many know we're supposed to go forward, not backward? We gotta keep moving forward. We may stumble, we may fall, we may not understand everything, but we're going to keep moving forward. We're not going to give up, we're not going to slide back, we're not going to turn around like Lot's wife. We're going to have our hand to the plow and we're going to keep moving forward, we're going to walk in your ways, and we believe that as we walk in God's ways, he'll take care of other things. And he will bless. And I'm not saying that we earn God's blessings, but there's this parallel track that if we walk in his ways then his blessings follow us. If we follow God, the blessings follow us. Surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. That's 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy. Who's surely? No, that's a bad joke. Sure, S-U-R-E-L-Y. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Man, that's an old preacher's joke. That was bad. If we, next, we are to number five, perform his service. Not only are we to walk in his ways, we're to keep his requirements. The meaning of this phrase, keep his requirements, has to do with service and ministry before the Lord. We see this in the New American Standard Translation, Zechariah 3, 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service. Remember, he was a priest. He he had a calling. He He had responsibility. Then you will also govern my house. And also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Every Christian has a place to serve the Lord in the church. 
When we have new people come to our church that go through our launch class, one of the things we do is we give them a spiritual gifts survey so they can find out the gifts God gave them. Not everybody's called to be a preacher or a teacher or, or, a, or a worship leader. Many are called to work behind the scenes. Many are called to do intercessory prayer. There are many gifts of the Spirit, but it's important that you find your gifts and you find your ministry. And it may, that ministry may change from time to time and season to season. It may be different than it was before, but how I many you know we're still, we never retire from the ministry of the Lord. We, we always have a part to play. Whether you're 8 or 80, there's still a ministry for you. And if we will walk in God's ways and prove ourselves faithful in serving him, then number six, we will be given authority. God does not trust his authority to just anyone. The Bible says you're not to put a novice in a place of leadership or he will fall under pride. And so we have to prove ourselves by walking in his ways and being faithful in the small things before he will grant us greater things. We see this emphasis of authority in the New Living Translation of Zechariah 3.7. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, if you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and, and its courtyards, and I will let you walk among these, standing, these others standing here. If we walk in the Lord's ways and carefully serve him, we will govern his house and have charge of his courts. We are not ready to have that authority until we walk in his ways in humility and perform his service faithfully. We have to prove ourselves before we can be in charge or be placed in leadership. It's important that we are, we are not qualified to lead until we're willing to follow someone else's lead. This is so important about leadership training. Before we can be the one in charge, we've got to be the one willing to serve. Faithful in the small things, God makes us faithful over greater things. Finally, if we walk in the ways of the Lord and serve him faithfully, then number seven, we will be granted access. We see this phrase emphasized in the Amplified Bible, Zechariah 3, 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then, you, then also you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you access to my presence and places to walk among these who stand here. The Lord said to Joshua, I will let you walk among those standing here. Those others that were standing there were the angels. The angels that have access to God. In Thomas Constable's notes, he says, if Joshua obeyed the Lord and served him, Joshua would govern the temple, have charge of the temple courts, and enjoy free access into the Lord's presence. He would come into the Lord's presence like the angels who stood before him. Now this word access, is, it's only used this time in the Old Testament. And it's the Hebrew word malkim. And it's a masculine plural noun indicating access, places to walk. It refers figuratively to, to potential access before God given to the high priest Joshua if he walked in the Lord's past. Listen. If we walk in his ways, he will grant us access to his presence. 
But we, we have to walk in his ways. We have to be faithful in our service to the Lord. And if we do, then he will open the doors of access. How many know when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the temple veil was torn in two? And what was housed there was called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in once a year. No one else could go in, only the high priest. Well, when Jesus died, that temple curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was torn in two. And Hebrews says that Jesus was that temple and his, his, his life was torn in two so that we can have access to God. This is incredible. In the Old Testament, only one person had that kind of access, the high priest. But now because of Jesus being our high priest, we have access. Whoever believes in Jesus walks in his ways and serves him will have the same access to the Lord's presence. Look at Ephesians 2.13, and I close with this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law With its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Because of the blood of Christ, because of the cross, because of the Spirit, we now have access. We have what people in the Old Testament longed for. I want you to know that we can sense the presence of the Lord. And as we walk in God's ways, He will direct our steps. And as we serve Him, He will bring blessing. Yes, there will be trial. There will be tribulation. You know the whole story. Jesus said, in this this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And as Draper shared last week, that he has given us a yoke that's light and easy and a burden that's light. He doesn't give us a heavy load. When you come to Jesus, he takes off that heavy load of guilt, of shame, of condemnation. All that you're bearing in that heavy backpack is gone. We are to take on his yoke. That means walking in his ways. Because a a yoke kept two oxen walking together. And the stronger oxen led the other oxen. I mean, if if we are yoked to Jesus, we got to let him lead. And that yoke is easy. It's, It's not painful and burdensome. And that burden is light. And that's what Jesus wants to give us. He wants to take away the burdens of our lives, of our past, of our guilt. And if we walk in his ways, we will have access to his presence. Would you bow your heads with me today? I want to invite those of you today who have never accepted Christ as your savior. You're not here by accident, you're here by design. God wanted you here today to hear this message. All your sins can be forgiven. 
you can leave this place today completely free. You can leave this place guaranteed that you will go to heaven. But you must repent. You must come to God through Jesus Christ. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. And if you do, you will have access to God. And maybe at one time you were serving the Lord and you've fallen away. You've drifted or maybe some crisis brought a crisis to your faith. But you realize today you need to come home. You need to come home to God. Time is short. Just look what's going on in the world. It's crazy. But it's in the book. So it's time to get right with God. It's time to get ready. Amen? This is the time. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if you want to give Jesus your life, you got to surrender all. Give up control. But if you do, he will bless you like you've never known. And so if you want to give your heart to Christ for the first time, or you want to recommit your life because you went backward, you're supposed to be going forward, but you went backward, would you just slip up your hand today if you want to know Christ? Yes, yes. Amen, amen. Several hands raised today. Praise the Lord. You put your hands back down. Because you were willing to raise your hand, God saw that. And that's your first step of faith. You raised your hand. And God sees it. And the Bible says that the angels are rejoicing in heaven. So I want to lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand, I want to lead you in this prayer. And I'm going to ask the rest of the church to repeat after me as well. So if you raise your hand, please repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd invite you just to take this info card, put your name on it, and check the box that says you gave your heart to the Lord, because we want to follow up with you. Your journey's just begun. You're a baby Christian, and you need people to help take care of you. And so I'd invite you to do that. Would you stand with me, church? In just a few moments, I'm going to give the blessing. And there will be people at the front. Our elders will gather at the front if you want prayer. If you, need, if you need healing, you need a miracle. The Bible says to call for the elders of the church. So they'll be standing right here and you're free to come. You're also free to come to the altars or even just where you're at. And so to, to protect people in their time of seeking the Lord, I would just ask you to keep your conversations to the foyer. It's okay, you can exit once we're done and carry on those conversations. We love the fellowship. But inside the sanctuary, we want people to have that, that privacy to pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, 
we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California. At 4901 California Avenue, we would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.